the story of the Old Testament is to prepare God's people to, to get ready by their behavior, by their ways of worship, by loving God, by loving their neighbors, to get ready to go out and help other nations to come to faith in the one Lord and one God. I think the Old Testament is the story of being prepared to go out in a certain way and also to attract others to come in. So it is both ways of going out and coming in as I read the Old Testament. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as International Ministries Director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Riyad Cassis, a fellow Old Testament Bible scholar, teacher, and author. From his home base in Lebanon, Riyad has spent decades in global theological leadership. Among his many roles, he serves as the Director of the Langham Scholars Program, with scholarships and supports emerging theological leaders throughout the majority world. Their conversation touches on a bit of the history of Arab Christians, what it's like for Christ followers in Lebanon today, a surprisingly strong and missional community of believers there, and how an early encounter with John Stott inspired his approach to ministry. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright. And I'm delighted to have as my guest today the Reverend Dr. Riyad Cassis from Lebanon. Welcome to you, Riyad. Thank you, Chris. Good to be with you. Now, Riyad is a Langham scholar himself, and he's now also the International Programme Director for the Langham Scholar Programme itself, working from his home in Lebanon. So, Riyad, I wonder if, very briefly, you could simply tell us what your job is as Programme Director and what the Langham Scholar Programme is and why, why it's important. In fact, I work uh, with a team, with a very efficient but small team, in helping faculty members in majority world seminaries to get a PhD. And simply speaking, it is, you know, encouraging these faculty members to go for the right PhD for them in the right place and supporting them throughout their study years, pastorally, academically, financially, and of course, uh, continuing the journey with them after they graduate. So this is basically what we do. And currently we have 80, 80 
uh, Langham scholars, women and men, studying in different contexts, doing their PhD. Thank you, Riyad. We will come back to theological education a little bit later. Some people in the West are, are a little bit surprised when they meet you and they know or they hear that you're an Arab and they say, you're an Arab, how come you're a Christian? What's your answer? Yeah, my answer is that uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Spirit uh, came on the disciples, they were speaking in many languages. And we read that there were Arabs even there, and they were hearing their uh, language being spoken at that time. Uh, so, in fact, Arabic Christianity started from the day of Pentecost. And throughout these centuries, Arab Christians continue to be present and not just, you know, to exist, but in fact to have impact on the economic life, on education, on political life throughout the history of the Middle East, North Africa uh, period. So, in fact, I come from a Christian background that goes back to the Church of Antioch. Uh, so my father, my mother came from those small Christian communities who preserved the Christian faith throughout these uh, centuries. And, uh, and for now, almost 2,000 years, Arab Christians have existed in this, in this region. And hopefully, by God's grace, we will continue to exist until the day that Jesus comes back. And I think you mentioned that you did your studies in Damascus, which has a certain Christian history, one might say, <laughs> from the Apostle Paul. So that's wonderful. And I know that you, you met John Stott personally, and that was how you became a Langham Scholar. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? You know, when I was a student at Damascus University, it was the first time I heard about John Stott. I have never heard of him again before that time. So a friend of mine who was the pastor of a, an English-speaking congregation in Damascus, his name was Reverend Peter Crooks, a very good friend, gave me cassette tapes of John Stott. I think 10 cassette tapes of his sermons. I think I listened to these sermons almost 50 times. Mm. I almost memorized these sermons, and I used to preach them in Arabic <laughs> whenever I had the chance. That was the beginning of knowing of John Stott. Yes, then I met him during one of uh, IFES World Assembly uh, that was held at Wheaton College in the U.S. And I should mention that I have been and still active in InterVarsity ministry for many years. So I met John Stott for the first time at Wheaton. And he, in fact, after a few minutes, he encouraged me to go for further studies and following that meeting, you know, I did my THM at Regent and then my PhD uh, with his support. And during my time in the UK, I used to have lunch with him from time to time, very good conversations. So I really uh, value and appreciate knowing him and uh, getting him as my mentor to some degree and as my model in my preaching and my ministry and my dealing with others. And that PhD was in the Old Testament, wasn't it? Uh, and it's curious to me as to why, as again, as, as an Arab Christian believer, 
you would choose to study the Old Testament, which many people think of as, you know, the Jewish Bible. So why did you choose that, and what difference has that made to your life and ministry? In fact, the uh, research topic for me was chosen because of, of two reasons. One of them, I wanted to dig into the Old Testament because the Old Testament being in this region has been misread, misunderstood, in many cases has been rejected. Uh, in many churches, it's not used to be subject of preaching or teaching. So I really wanted to bring the Old Testament to our uh, fellow Arabs, whether Muslims or Christians. So that was a main motivation for me to go into Old Testament uh, studies. But the second reason is that I was brought up because of my dad on educating me in wisdom, proverbial wisdom in Arabic. So my dad, since I was a child, used to say on each occasion a wisdom saying, a proverb in Arabic. By the way, proverbs are very much uh, well and alive in our settings, as you know. Uh, uh, so that was the other motivation. I wanted to dig into wisdom literature in the Old Testament and into wisdom literature in the Arab world. So I researched in the wisdom sayings of Islam, of Muhammad, even with wisdom sayings before Islam, doing a comparative study with the book of Proverbs. Mm. So those were the two main reasons for me. And I really enjoyed my, my studies. And even until now, I do teach in this area and write in this area. Yes, uh, you and I are both uh, Old Testament teachers. Um, in yes. fact, uh, I remember very warmly how we shared a course together. We co-taught a course on the Old Testament wisdom literature at Regent College Vancouver. Do you remember? I, it's a good number of years ago now, but uh, that was a very pleasant uh, week of co-teaching. I wonder in what way is teaching the Old Testament mission? Because we're talking here about being on mission, and many people would not think of just Bible teaching in itself as mission, let alone teaching the Old Testament. What do you think about teaching the Old Testament as an act of missional engagement in the world? Yeah, I do remember those uh, uh, times, uh, Chris, when you and I were in Vancouver. In fact, I remember the first evening we went together and we had a pizza <laughs> in a nearby uh, shop, if you remember. That's right, yeah. And in fact, that course was on wisdom and mission. True. Uh, it was a great combination that you were mainly focusing on mission. I was focusing on wisdom and then bringing these two uh, together. I think uh, the story of the Old Testament is to prepare God's people to, to get ready by their behavior, by their ways of worship, by loving God, by loving their neighbors, to get ready to go out and, uh, and help other nations to come to faith in the one Lord and one God. Uh, I think uh, the Old Testament is the story of being prepared to go out uh, in a certain way and also to attract others to come in. Uh, so it is both ways of going out and coming in uh, as I read the Old Testament. Uh, and of course, you know, maybe in many cases, the Old Testament uh, 
people did not do it as it should be done. Uh, and it is now up to us to go out and bring the good news and to bring people in by showing our walk with God, by showing our compassion, um, by showing our passion for justice and care to bring people into the kingdom of God. Mm. So I think that is a strong missionary aspect in the, in the Old Testament. And to do mission, you need to be wise. You don't go just, you know, in any way and do mission. You need good preparation. You need uh, wisdom. You need patience, perseverance. And I think being wise would uh, give you the skills to do the right kind of mission. That's great. And, and you do actually teach the Old Testament uh, as part of your job uh, at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. And presumably you're teaching the students exactly what you've just been sharing with me uh, of the relevance of the Old Testament scriptures to their life and work in mission, which is great. Now, when you uh, completed your PhD and returned back to your home in Lebanon to the Middle East, I think, if I'm right in saying this, that you were the first uh, with a PhD, for, certainly the first evangelical Christian with a PhD in that region. Am I right in that? Yes, in, in Old Testament. Yes, I was the first one and, of course, the first Langham scholar at that time. And how many are there now? Now, you know, every few months we have new who have just graduated. Hmm. So, in fact, just uh, a month ago, uh, my friend from Egypt who teaches in Beirut just got his PhD from Canada. So now there are almost 17. Mm. And we have a few now who are in preparation of completing their PhD. Mm. And they serve in different Arab countries. Uh, and in fact, uh, they're not, not just serving through their teaching and preaching, but also through their writings. And many of them write in English that would give their writing a, you know, uh, a, a huge uh, opportunity to write, to be spread all over the place, and also writing in Arabic uh, as well. So what, what year was it when you graduated with your PhD and returned? That was in 1997. So from 1997, when there was one Langham Scholar in the Middle East, North Africa region, now 17, I think John Stott would be pleased, don't you? With uh, yes, if, I, I'm sure he, if he, he if he has been here, he would very much be excited and pleased. Yeah, uh, you know, not just this because I think when I did my PhD, I was number fifty, if I remember, and now we are almost reaching four hundred in a couple of years. Yeah. So it's, this is really amazing for me that I was number fifty, and now after maybe twenty years or so we are almost reaching 400 in a few few more years. That's really amazing. And I can say that this is only possible through God's grace and uh, the support of God's people uh, in many countries for, for this ministry. It is amazing, really. And I, I think the, the extent to which God has made the vision of John Stott so fruitful um, yeah. And in so many parts of the world, of which yours is one, obviously a, a very significant region, uh, and uh, it's wonderful how it has borne fruit there. Yes. Let's let's move off theology for a minute and just uh, just take us uh, to Lebanon, to your homeland, and tell us something about why you you love your land so much and what is so special about Lebanese life and culture. 
Uh, you know, this is very tiny country, uh, but it has its uniqueness in this region because of the strong Christian presence throughout the centuries. Lebanon has been the hub for mission in this region. So you can find Christian publishing houses flourishing in Lebanon because of the freedom we have. We don't need permission to build the churches. So you have at least six or seven theological institutions in this tiny country, evangelical institutions. Um, so for many reasons, this is a unique country in this uh, part of this region where uh, Christians are being prepared and being sent to North Africa, to other countries of the Middle East for, for many, many years uh, back. For me, this is a country where I was born. And although, you know, we face many issues, whether terrorism, economic situation, political unrest. And more recently, we had that huge explosion in Beirut. Uh, so safety and security are not always uh, there every day. But for my wife and I, we think that God has called us to this country, but also to this region. And although we have the opportunity, for instance, because of our American citizenship to be living outside this country, but we have chosen uh, to be purposely here. And in fact, uh, as a symbol of that, we have planted almost 20 cedar trees uh, near our house just to, uh, to have a symbol that as the cedar trees are growing, and having deep roots into the soil, we hope that the church and us as well as being part of the body of Christ, that we continue to have deep roots in this region for the sake of the gospel and to reach out for God's kingdom. Hmm. Yes, the, the cedars of Lebanon are famous and actually take you right back to Solomon <laughs> in terms of, yeah, of the, the, the biblical history. And there are some wonderfully ancient uh, forests of cedars still there in some parts of, of the mountains yes. of Lebanon that yeah. we visited. Um, some people would be surprised to know that there are so many Christians in Lebanon. I mean, what is the approximate um, percentage these days? I know it's, it's much reduced from what it used to be, but what's the approximate percentage of Christians and what effect does that have on the constitution of the country and, and, and how things happen? Uh, of course, as you said, the percentage has been reduced uh, because of the civil war, because of the growth of the Muslim population. So currently, I mean, we don't have accurate statistics, but uh, my estimate is that maybe 39% of the population, that would be all Christians of different traditions. Mm -hmm. But evangelicals would be 0.001%. Mm -hmm. But even with that, we had such an, an, imp an impact in our country. For instance, in terms of education, uh, there are four top universities founded by evangelicals in this country. The most uh, famous of them would be the American University of Beirut mm -hmm. that was founded by Presbyterian missionaries from the U.S., but also the Lebanese American University, where our daughter uh, is studying, almost finishing her degree. That was the first uh, school for girls and young women in the Ottoman Empire, hmm. where education was not 
uh, available even for men that school was offering education for uh, for women so what i am saying chris is that even with our uh, small percentage we were able to make a difference in this country not just in terms of education but also in terms of impact of spiritual life of economy and we are really grateful to god because of this possibility opportunity to be of impact in this in this country in so many ways it sounds a bit like jesus parable of the kingdom of god is like mustard seed you know it, it can be very small but it can produce something you know much bigger in the long term and and that seems yes. to be what's happening now you mentioned a little bit earlier about the fact of obviously the, the the war in Syria having created this massive influx of refugees into Lebanon. I wonder if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about that and also how the churches uh, have been responding to that. You know, Lebanon has been always a welcoming country to refugees. And I really do hope that many countries would follow our example in, in, in this area. For instance, uh, Lebanon hosted the Armenians after the genocide that happened in 1915-1920. Lebanon hosted the Iraqis after the Iraqi war. Uh, Lebanon hosted the Palestinians after the founding of the state of of Israel. Uh, And more recently, Lebanon hosted, you know, the Syrian refugees. So this tiny countries was able recently to host more than one point, more than 1.5 million registered refugees. Of course, we have also more than that number. These are only Syrian refugees. And of course, that has impacted our economy, impacted our life in so many ways. Uh, but at the same time, it opened up the opportunity for the gospel to reach out to these sisters and brothers coming from Syria. So I can say that many churches uh, have experienced sort of a renewal in their faith and their mission understanding when they started to reach out to these Syrian refugees. They reach out in practical ways, offering uh, food, medical uh, uh, treatment, uh, as well as education, but at the same time they reach out with the good news uh, to these Syrian refugees. And it has been amazing to see Syrians, women and men coming to faith in Christ. And I can say, in fact, that if these Syrians stayed in Syria, there was no way for them to reach out to them because they were in very restricted far areas where no Christian would ever think of going there. But now in God's providence, God brought them to Lebanon. Of course, this does not underestimate the horror Mm. of war and violence Mm -hmm. but that was a glimpse of hope for these Syrians to come to Lebanon and to be introduced to Christ in Mm. such a a way. Yes it is amazing how well as the scriptures say God can cause the wrath of man to praise him that that things can be desperately evil and they are but uh, God can triumph over them and use them for the cause of his kingdom which is, uh, as you say, a sign of hope. Now, you yourself, um, with your wife Isdahar and your daughter Travina, you live uh, in a town there in Lebanon, which is 
not far from the Syrian border, it's ju- just across the valley, the Bakar Valley, uh, and your wife especially has, has a ministry among Syrian refugees. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about that and, and what that has meant for you as a family, what God has been teaching you through that experience? Yes, sure. My wife, you know, is Syrian. I mean, her parents are Syrian. She was born in Syria, uh, raised up in both Syria and Jordan. So when the Syrian uh, crisis started, uh, my wife uh, felt a great passion for the Syrians, especially for Syrian women and Syrian teenage girls. So my wife decided in the beginning to just sell her paintings. She is a fine art artist just to support the ministry to the refugees. But by God's grace, now she was able to have two big centers in Bika Valley working for the help of refugees, not just providing relief assistance in terms of food to them and so on, but to provide them with vocations. So when they are back in Syria, they would be able to be independent and make a living. And so more than 350 young women graduated from the sewing schools. Uh, She has a ministry to provide medical assistance, dental assistance, carpentry workshop for boys, uh, teenage girls training and hairdressing and makeup and so on. Different kinds of vocations But it is not just that, but showing Christ's love in action is really important for these refugees to come to Christ. Mm. And if you visit one of her centers, you can see women with their veils still on their heads, but these are deep inside, committed Christians. Mm. And uh, that was really amazing to watch, that these women... Muslim women coming to faith in Christ because of such loving ministry to them and their families. It, it speaks to me of what we mean by integral mission or holistic mission, that being on mission is, is not a matter of theorizing about what has priority or which is more important, but simply doing what Jesus told us to do, which is to love and to serve and to speak and to share the good news and to do these things together uh, because they are integral to each other. And it is amazing to me that the churches in Lebanon and people like yourselves and uh, Isdahar, in a sense, don't need to have a PhD in missiology. They, they just go out and follow the example of Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit brings people to faith. You know, that, and we oughtn't to be surprised about that because it's, it's what Jesus said. So that's that's wonderful. I wonder, from that experience then of Lebanon itself as a country, as you rightly said, I mean, we're not just talking about Christians here, but Lebanon as a country hosting 1.4, 1.5 million refugees in comparison to so many Western countries where we count them in a few thousands. What What do you think the Western church needs to learn from Lebanon about loving and serving the stranger, the foreigner, and so on. What have you as a church in Lebanon to teach us? I think the church in the West has such a great opportunity because internationals are coming to the West, whether to Europe, uh, Great Britain, or to the United States, or Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. 
many nationalities are going there. So I think that church there has such a great opportunity to reach out to these migrants and showing them God's love and, and action. I think uh, the church is a community of believers. It is one community of faith. And I think this is really important that um, we develop communities within our churches, within our organizations uh, in the West. And finally, I think uh, what you learned from the Middle East and from Lebanon is the importance of being hospitable, to open your home, to open your heart, to open your mind to foreigners and strangers, maybe by offering food, maybe by listening to them, by befriending them. So hopefully we can be of assistance in transferring these values of relationship, of community, and hospitality uh, to the Western Church uh, as well. But also we need to learn from the Western Church in so many ways, because I think uh, for us as evangelicals, the missionaries who came from the West more than 180 years ago, almost 200 years ago, they were such an example of sacrifice uh, to live in such tough circumstances. I think we also need to learn gener being generous in terms of financial giving from the Western Church. Uh, so I think we are one body of Christ, mm. and we need to listen to one another, and we can benefit from the experiences of one another. Mm. Amen to that. Amen. Tell me a little bit more about your family. Now, I know that you've got uh, two children, a son, Tim, and, and a daughter, Trevina. And uh, uh, Trevina is, is with you there now in, in Lebanon. Uh, when I first met her, she was a little girl of seven or eight, I think, and uh, now she's a, a, an adult. She has been very much involved with you and Isdahar in the kind of work you're doing. So she's obviously learned from you as her parents something of what it means to be, in a sense, on mission for God in society. A couple of questions, really. One is, how, as parents, did you and Isdahar uh, manage to in, imbue your children with that sense of, of Christian mission and commitment? And secondly, does someone like your own daughter, Trevina, give you hope for her generation, the next generation of Lebanese young people uh, in your country, especially Christian young people, but the, the next generation in general? In fact, uh, Trevina, our daughter, was sharing with her friends, uh, uh, responding to a question, how come you have, become, you'll be, you have become very active in Christian ministry, Trevina? And her response was, my parents did not force me or my brother, Tim, our son, to do certain things, even not to go to church. We, we did not feel any imposition on us to do things that we did not want to do. And then she added, my brother and I, we just watched our parents, how they speak, what they do, how they serve Christ, and that was the impact in our in our lives. 
And when we heard this, we were really grateful to God uh, uh, because I think that is the work of the Spirit in Trevina and in Tim. Tim is a scientist at, at MIT Boston in bioengineering. And in fact, even in his scientific research, he would say and praise God for giving humanity minds and energy to serve other human beings. And he has kept his strong Christian faith even, you know, during his PhD studies, even now with postdoc studies at MIT, and now he is employed by MIT. So I think what is really important is how we behave in front of our uh, children. I'm sure they heard me preaching and teaching many times, mm-hmm. and they really enjoy my pe- preaching. They would say, it is interesting <laughs> preaching with fun and with, you know, uh, jokes and so on. But I don't think that was the most beneficial in their Christian walk. It was how my wife and I treated them and lived Christ by example in front of them. And do you think that it had anything to do with the fact that you lived with them through some pretty tumultuous times? I mean, you've lived through wars and the present crisis and everything else. Um, what... What has that taught you about parenting children in the midst of strife and struggle and turmoil and upheaval? Because that is now also affecting parents in the West as well. Yes, in fact, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, at times when Trevina, our daughter, for instance, she was younger and there were car bombs all over Beirut. Uh, We were not far from the Syrian borders. Terrorists were just you know, a couple of miles away from us. Uh, She said to us, why are we staying here? Mm. Why don't we go to another place? Why don't we go where my brother is living in Boston? And we had to to say to her, of course, it is your choice when you are a grown-up. But for the time being, we feel that God is calling us to to this region. And perseverance and patience are our middle names in this region. Um, And I think years after years, she has grown up to love this country. So when she had the opportunity to do her university, uh, she had the chance to go to the U.S., in fact, and we gave her full freedom where she would like to do her studies. And we were surprised, but we were so excited when she came one day and said, I want to do my university studies here in Lebanon. Mm. I don't want to leave my country. I want to be a witness in this country. And so she is now almost finishing her studies. Now she is doing her internship at one of the American hospitals in Beirut, serving in so many ways. So it is really exciting how our children would change their mindset after some time if they see in us faith, perseverance, and dedication to serve God, even in tough circumstances. Mm. Thank you. Let let me return for a moment to uh, theological education, if we can go back there. Let me um, quote to you from this document that I think you know, the Cape Town Commitment of the Lausanne Movement. And it says this in one place, that theological education is intrinsically missional, uh, 
And those of us who provide theological education need to ensure that it is intentionally missional, since its place within the academy is not an end in itself, but to serve the mission of the church in the world. And I wonder if you agree with that and in what sense you see teaching in seminary and writing books and things that we'll come to in a moment as missional. In fact, after I did my PhD in 1997 and uh, until now, I have been not just involved in teaching in seminaries, but I have been working with theological institutions in this region in North Africa, even in Pakistan and Iran and in many other countries. And then on a more global level, working with hundreds and hundreds of theological institutions. And my motto has always been, Chris, that theological education, in my perspective, should be in the service of the church and society. So if our theological education is just for theological or just for educational purposes, it is not what I am aspiring. I am hoping that all theological education in our evangelical theological institutions would be relevant to the needs of the church and the society. Our aim is to transform societies for God's kingdom and for God's glory through the work of the church. So unless we are able to prepare men and women and to be qualified to do this kind of transformation in the church and outside the church, then we have been uh, failed in doing what we should be doing. So I, I surely, in fact, support what you have said about theological education being missional. And even now, you know, when we are working with scholars for PhD, which is the highest academic qualification in many countries, we always ask those applicants, how are you connecting your academic research into the context of your country, your region, your society? This issue is very important for us. It is of top academic quality, but at the same time, rooted in their own context of the church and their societies, mm. which I think should be the goal of theological education in any context. Well, I agree entirely with you. And I'm just wondering, in your region, the Middle East and North Africa, because we have to go you know, right across the whole region, what do you see as the major challenges and opportunities that are there in that region, particularly, I suppose, in the wake of the so-called Arab Spring, which is almost now 10 years ago. Um, but in Middle East, North Africa, what do you see to be the major challenges to the church and the opportunities? Of course, there are many challenges and many mm -hmm. opportunities, but maybe for the sake of our time, I can mention a few of them. One major challenge is the challenge of the rise of fundamentalism uh, that is becoming violent uh, at many times in many countries. Now even as we talk in France and in, in, in Europe, people are really suffering from this kind of violent fundamentalism. 
And here in the Middle East, North Africa, this is a huge challenge, not just for the Christians, but also for our fellow Muslims in this region, but more for the Christian minority in this region. Another challenge that we, uh, we face is that we need to have more qualified men and women in our churches and our Christian organizations who are able to make an impact in their societies. So they need to train leaders and to train pastors and preachers is a huge challenge for us. But at the same time, it is an opportunity. Uh, there are some excellent institutions in this region and training program. Many of them are being led by Langham graduates, but I think we need to face this challenge by increasing the number and the quality of these leaders of society and of Christian organization and churches as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, concerning opportunities, I think that what we are experiencing now in this region in terms of war and terrorism and political unrest, economic uh, situations, people are turning to God or maybe turning to be atheists, especially young men and women. Mm. So this is at the same time a challenge and an opportunity where we really need to reach out in creative ways to this generation of young men and women uh, where they are confused, uncertain about the present and about the future, and hopefully bring them hope that we have in Christ and his salvation and bring them into a community of the church where they can experience life in all its dimensions and be uh, supportive within that community. Thank you. Riyad, as well as being a, a scholar and a teacher, you're also a writer. Uh, and you are one of the contributors and the one of the Old Testament editors for the Arabic Contemporary Commentary, which was launched, I think, in 2017, if I'm right. Um, what was so unique and special about that Arabic Bible commentary, a one-volume commentary on the whole Bible? Uh, yes, uh, that was, I think, a landmark in this uh, region. Uh, because I think for the first time in our history of almost 2,000 years as Arab Christians, that Arab Christian scholars of this region came together within the Lausanne Cape Town framework, and we decided that we need to write a commentary in Arabic by Arabs for Arabs. Mm. So that was really an amazing project for almost 11 years working on it. And in the midst of, as you said, the Arab spring or the Arab winter that sometimes we call it, and in the midst of many difficulties that we face in this region, whether in Egypt, in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Palestine, but by God's grace and the support of our friends and donors for Langham, we were able to uh, finish this project 
and now the commentary is being distributed throughout this uh, region. You've written some other books, both in Arabic and English, and one of them is called Frustrated with God, and it's an exposition of the book of Habakkuk. Tell us a bit about that one. It came out when I was invited to speak to university students in Syria during the war. Mm. And uh, I was with that group of maybe 80 uh, men and women. Students came from all over Syria, even in the midst of the war. And I was speaking from the book of Habakkuk. Why is this happening to us? Mm. How long is going to continue in this terrible situation? And that, you know, motivated me to write a book on Habakkuk from the perspective of a Syrian Christian who is suffering uh, because of the war in Syria. Mm. So I wrote that book and um, it was to my surprise that many uh, read this book. They used it in Bible study groups um, and... um, it was really a joy to contribute a book which is relevant to the context where we live. What can we be praying for you, Riyadh? I mean, for now, our country is in a big mess uh, from a political, economic, COVID-19 perspective. And as you know, the explosion that happened in Beirut in August added more devastation to what we are experiencing now. So I would appreciate prayer for for Lebanon, for the church in Lebanon to continue its mission and impact in whatever the churches are doing. Uh, The second thing I would appreciate prayer for my wife's ministry among the Syrian refugees, now with COVID-19 spreading uh, very quickly in Lebanon, we hope that it would not spread much in the Syrian refugee camps. That would be a disaster. Mm. There's no way for physical distancing in these circumstances. Mm. So please pray for the Syrian refugees in Lebanon and for the ministry of my wife and other Christian organizations. And finally, uh, please pray for our 80 current scholars who are by God's grace, we're able, even in this COVID-19 crisis, to commence their PhD studies. That was really amazing. So please pray for these women and men as they continue their PhD study. And, uh, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity to share with you. Thank you, Riyadh. We will certainly be praying for those things and praying for you and your ministry. Thank you for talking with us. Thank you, Chris. Have a good day. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode. I really love how these conversations transport us around the world and even challenge us at times. I know I'm thinking about Riyadh's words and how the Old Testament can guide us into being a good news people who show our compassion and our passion for justice and how we walk with God and others. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. 
Visit Langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.